I'm Debbie Travis. And I'm Tommy Smythe. And this is Trust Me, I'm a Decorator. We're actually talking about design and decorating on this episode. Weird, right? We're with one of America's favorite designers, Genevieve Gorda. She's a two-time Emmy nominee and a regular design host at the White House, the founder and decorator of her own brand. She's a television host, producer, contributing author, and global ambassador for home and human rights. Oh my God, what an intro. I mean, we have the two titans, the OGs, the originators (laughs) of lifestyle television, Two women together on this podcast for the first time who literally created this genre. And, you know, I want to introduce the two of you to each other again and just sort of say how much I admire both of you and how much I'm looking forward to this conversation about your experiences. Jen, when I think of you, I think of Joy. Debbie wrote a book called Joy. Uh, what you two bring to the table as lifestyle presenters, as women in design television, is just so happy and joyful and wonderful. And so I'm delighted that we're together today, all three of us. Hi, hi, hi. It's so nice to see you again. It's been so long. And I I was trying to work out this morning, because we did a few things together, didn't we? And I think we did the Kelly show it was Reese, Regis and Kelly then together. No. No? I've never. That is the one show I've never done, I think. I think I've done them all, but Ke- oh, that sounds terrible. <laughs> I have done so many times. You've done them all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think it was Oprah because that was on my own. But I, I thought it was there was a whole gang uh, from HGTV when we did that a uh, couple of Regis and Kelly shows. But we'll, I'm sure over the next kind of 45 minutes we'll, we'll figure we'll it out figure it out yeah who we slept with <laughs> yeah. oh that's another show that's me. another show <laughs> um, before we get started I, I wanted to ask you as you're such a titan as Tommy said of design growing up what, what, what did decorating and design what did it mean anything to you as a child or were you not interested just climbing trees or or were you always got that oh I'll just move my bed this way I think I did all of it I don't think any of us just happen to become one day this is like a genetic path don't you think like you don't just fall into a hole you're like oops i'll be a designer it's just the way we see and approach things and people that kind of determines if you're going to be a, a designer in my mind so yes as a child um i was always up to no good creative business so it was moving my bed designing the headboard I have very young parents. My mother was 20 when I was born. My dad was like 23. And we didn't have a lot of money. So, of course, we made everything. And that was my love language. So, you know, colors in my in, in your bedroom. We all know this being on TV and who comes to see us when we present. It's always that eight-year-old who wants to show you their room plan and they've drawn it out for you. You know, it's like that magical age. Magical yeah, it's like when they just take ownership of their own space for the first time, and it's just the sweetest thing. And they're all adults now, and I love running into them. So many of them are designers, right? And they saw all of us doing what we do, and it was like, oh my god, we changed the life. That's amazing. I know. Sometimes you think, oh, I feel so old. So, oh yeah, I watched you as I was growing up. But then you're like so proud, yes, because you've influenced them. And we were growing up too. I mean, God, I started when I was. 23. So if they were 12 and I was 23, I still don't feel bad about it. 
but you gave it makes you feel like you gave away something bigger than just a home for a family you touched millions by being joyful and creative and making it look fun because we all know it's really not that fun it's not that fun (laughs) it is very hard work so in the uk was a show that came out of the out of nowhere and it blew it was prime time television network and it was called changing rooms and it changed people's lives overnight because we'd never seen i mean the subject of decorating itself was was just not talked about it was just you know you inherited some stuff from your parents maybe every 5 years you painted the house if that and then when the kids left home you know you you redid some of the house and that was about it it wasn't about as sexy as a piece of gold fish um and then this show changing rooms where basically they switched houses with couples and it was about the drama of people not about the decorating you know designers couldn't understand it i remember designers saying to me um yeah but you know it's ridiculous what you do but that was it was about television it was about creating reactions and and the hysteria and the the good the bad and the and the fantastically ugly um and then america bought the rights to changing rooms and did trading spaces and by then i'd started my sh- my first show the painted house um but again i used to get all the t- it was vhs then all the tapes sent over from the uk because i was a television producer not a decorator but it was it was the joy of watching people <laughs> against people husband against wife neighbors who were like she's going to sue you you know whatever kids who are horrified grannies who are having meltdowns you know brothers who are having heart attacks you know kids tied up in the basement you know it was about people which is what television is at when it said it's best you know and it was before we have to remember it was just before reality tv so that is why i think this type of television genre exploded because it was shot in a kind of fly on the wall fast budget not that much not so glossy and viewers went nuts because you know you saw what was going on you could relate you know oh my god if you did that in my bedroom or oh if my mum found out so you know we it was also relatable and then we had the writers strike across the united states where dramas couldn't be written and then there was a loophole and that was core reality television and then of course we started with the osbornes it was dirt cheap to make it was about nothing and people loved it people loved it and that went on for 8 years that that strike and and the explosion of reality i did not remember that there was a strike i think i was too busy being way too into myself <laughs> <laughs> but i i i do remember of course mtv prior to that and that's where i had worked for many years yeah. prior to going to into design television as at studios all around. i i started everything premature You know, look, we all figured out we wanted to be designers at eight. And yes, I, maybe not designers, but creatives. Because I, I really didn't have the vernacular design taught to me anywhere, even though we were flipping houses in the 80s um, in the Midwest, where a lot of people flew to suburbs and we had all this architectural stock that was thick and mighty and built by titans of in their own right. Um, and so my vocabulary of and, and know-how was just kind of ingrained. 
And all of those first shows in the States started where I grew up in Minneapolis. Home Matters. It was before the big HG oh, God, yeah. Uh, rain. Yeah, before she didn't exist. Right. Did and that's a very Midwest thing is the DIY. Don't talk about it. Just do it. Work for the glory of work. Don't, you know, it's very Scandinavian too. So I didn't know it was a superpower until I came out East where people didn't know how to, you know, hang a picture on the wall. They'd pay someone to do it. <laughs> they pay me. Um, and design came kind of in uh, later in life as I was in my early twenties, realized I did not want to be an, uh, an international relations affairs diplomat. Um, and I found design quickly. It was like the sky opened up and that was my path. It was literally that dramatic. And reality TV, I was working in design at MTV and real world was everything for us young adults. It was the biggest TV show ever because it was an experiment. You guys remember the show, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And one of the, the director, I don't, I'm sure they had a few. We ended up doing a series for me. The typical, you know, we took over a house, we put 20 kids in and blah, blah. And the first day I went onto the set to check everything and he'd put uh, microphones on all the beds, like hidden them. Was his name George? No, John. I think it was John. <laughs> mad as a box of frogs. I mean, he was mad. And I said, you can't do that. He said, uh, you want good television? We're going to tape because they're all going to be swapping rooms at night. Of course they did. <laughs> we actually took the, the mics out. We kept the cameras, but we looked like that. And he just taught us so much about real world. Yeah. I think there's something very interesting, you know, Jen, when you talk about like the fact that you had this sort of like aptitude for diplomacy, and then you went into a vocational sort of situation that really involves so much diplomacy. What's even more interesting to me is that when I had aptitude testing in high school, the thing that they told me that I should be was international relations, diplomacy, and, and international law. And I was like in way too much of a hurry to live life to go into what would have been like 12 more years of school. So I didn't do that. But I actually must have an aptitude for that sort of thing because what I do do involves so much of that diplomacy. I absolutely agree. I think we are way too playful also to go into law. It would have sucked the spirit right out of us. But look, I think we're part-time therapists, as we all know, and that was one of my prior majors as well. Um, we're absolutely in diplomacy. And then we're we're mad creatives. And that little you know ingredient mix-up makes for typically a pretty joyful person. I'm not so joyful when I'm at you know Home Depot all day, but I really... <laughs> I do think we really stumbled into something quite um, special as a, as a career path that we get to do this. I do feel grateful every single day. Is it super hard half the time? Yes. Do I have worry? Just like any other person doing any other uh, freelance job? Of course. But I, I don't know if I'd have the reward in any other kind of creative job that I have in this one being that it was on television. And coming to this place now of like, okay, We've all done 20 plus years of TV. What do we want to do next? And we all have a lot of pots going on all the time, I'm sure. I really have realized that at this age, what I do best is translate design to people who don't understand it. It's everyone can design a beautiful room if they're trained and they have the eye and blah, blah, blah. Does it make me any better than anyone else? Can we all do it a cool style? That's our own. Yes. 
But I think truly, after meeting with so many designers too, the unicorn in us is that we're able to talk about it in a way that feels interesting. Because like we said, it's not half the time. And that's where I get the most joy is, is turning that light bulb in someone's head. And yes, so many people hated their rooms on trading spaces, changing rooms, because you didn't know them and you didn't have any chance to talk to them. And that was the game and the pleasure of it all. The hated episodes were the highest rated. And exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but then there were the ones where they cry because they, they couldn't believe it was magic. It was like magic because they don't understand how we do it. And that's when we get to be fairies is when I am I am absolutely out of body and doing my most pleasurable task in life. I'm a full-time fairy. <laughs> and I do believe and I do believe that that is the thing that sets the three of us apart, maybe from people who don't have the experience of communicating for such a long time about the same subject matter. You know, we all have had that experience of trying to translate and demystify what design is and why it's important. You know, when I do public speaking, I always talk about how anyone can be inspired and anyone really can do this. But you have to really look at, you know, inspiration and ha have a little scholarship, learn a little bit about what's going on. And we always said, you know, that we were on television because we were good designers versus we're designers because we're on television. I mean, you and I met probably like 15 years ago. And when I met you, you were the one I wanted to meet. I was a fan first. And when I first met you in New York that night, I was so excited to meet you because when I watched Trading Spaces, I used to think to myself, you know, there's a lot of different types of people who were co-hosts of yours. And there's a lot of different types of design that were happening. But your work was the work that I always thought was the most appealing to me. And, and your design sensibility was the most appealing to me because there was, and I think it's because there was that underlying joy. There was just the pleasure of doing it. The real intellectual pleasure of figuring out how to solve a problem and then delivering something to people and hoping they would like it. I mean, you were the one who... I mean, I, I think, I don't know what your actual track record was, but everybody loved your spaces. You know, and thank you, because I think that's probably the best compliment I could get in design ever is that you were attracted to me because I did it through joy. I'm glad that came through. I, I'm all heart. I lead with that. And there's many ways to lead your design process. A lot are through the mind. Uh, some are through memory. Some are through just, I know this is popular. I'm going to copy it. It's, and none of it is wrong. Um, but I think I approach it more from an art standpoint rather than an architectural math head. Um, so I feel everything and I want to feel the person that I'm working with or through to get there as authentically as I can. And I still work like that. I'll go sit in your house when you're not there <laughs> if I'm designing it and watch the light just because I need to feel it. And I feel like that is so often missed. It's never shot. But home is a living organism, and I like to treat it as such. Uh, and it never gets old. It never gets old. Would you guys agree? I mean, do you ever get sick of designing and decorating? I don't. I mean, I do it every day. And when I think of both you and Debbie, I think of you as teachers. You're both so good at design. You both have extraordinary personal taste. And I think, you know, that is something that is both born in and nurtured and developed. But first and foremost, in terms of your media careers, you are teachers. And I think that is something that universally 
people love, but I don't think it's something that every presenter who does lifestyle television brings to the table necessarily automatically. I think it is a True. calling in no. a person. Yeah. Agreed. But I think it's a, it's a mix. It's, it's a real mix because television, you know, is really my, I'm the opposite of you two. You two have got the talent, but me, I came from the television world, like behind making shows in England. And it's that magic mix. I remember, um, before I even had the shows, going to do home shopping in Florida. <laughs> I think I was doing stencils and videos. I mean, like unbelievably <laughs> dreadful at two o'clock in the morning where half the audience is drunk or, or drugged up or something. And there are 10,000 of those stencils. No, you only need one. That was like, anyway, but it was successful. And I did an infomercial and they took over a kind of a house there and we shot, I mean, it was like a movie. We shot this infomercial. And there was a, a very, he was old then, as God knows if he's still around, but he was an old man and he was the king of infomercials. And they brought him in to teach me. And he taught me in these three days there, really the, 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 the talent of talking through that camera lens to that one person who's sitting on that sofa. You're talking to them. You're talking to them. So the talent, yes, you two are, you know, both of you incredibly talented as designers. But I think what comes to it when you, you've got the teaching process going on is that sometimes it's that kind of, you're only one step ahead. Or in my case, I certainly was of the viewer. I was practicing this stuff at home and you can do this and you can do this. And the authenticity of it all, you weren't in there like some lecturer saying, well, you never put blue with green and you never, you know, you were like, oh my God, it works. Oh, and I think that was the joy of these shows that we were all like as astounded if it did work and as miserable and, you know, hide <laughs> when it didn't. And I think the viewers at home, how this genre just exploded was they weren't these grand architects and designers who made you feel intimidated. It's like fashion in a way. You know, we all feel intimidated walking into, you know, a Versace store because the people working in there are smarter, cleaner, you know, more dressed up than you are when you're walking off the street and you automatically feel small. Whereas this was the television version of design brought not only ratings and fun and excitement, but it also taught, you know, I mean, I had hate mail from people going, I've been up this ladder for two months, you know, <laughs> you said I could do this in an hour, you know, and, and that was the fun of live television because it was like you were going at it nonstop. But I think people did try and it changed everything, didn't it? The DIY exploded. It democratized design for sure. And yeah. I know in the States in particular, we hadn't really given ourselves permission to have beautiful things at home, unless we are part of the 1%. It wasn't really even talked about. This industry was so tiny when we came in in 2000, which is shocking considering the amount of money this country has. But the interiors were really not thought of unless you were in that 1% with perhaps a designer. They were practical. Right. They were practical and you inherited something from granny and that was about sure. it. Sure. And a history, which the States didn't really have an interior. So it was um, more giving people permission, I think, than anything else. That it's okay, A, if your house doesn't look like everyone else's, B, to show how you feel and think through object and space, um, and C, to play. 
because they were just so worried about the value of their house that they they wouldn't play. Exactly. Oh, don't do anything because it'll ruin the value. Yeah. But do you remember the, the days in in New York and in Toronto when if you went into a fabric showroom, they wanted to see your credentials yeah. as a designer, yeah. and you're like. Yeah, but I just want to buy some fabric. And they looked at you as if you'd just thrown up on the floor and they would throw you out. Oh, total asshole. They would throw you out. You're sitting there doing nothing like six salespeople. I've come in with my hard-earned money and I want to buy 20 yards or 20 meters of that fabric. And they're like, no, 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 no. You can't do that. Well, that soon went out the window. I honestly didn't want to get into interiors. And it was my were my minor in college because of the very conservative, small thinking and style that I saw everywhere from designing women to the metropolitan home. I was like, this is so not my people. And when I came into it through television, and yes, I'd been practicing my whole life with all these houses we did growing up. And of course, I had an art education but I was very um, hesitant to commit to interiors because I didn't think it was cool. And again, I'm coming from MTV and all the parties and the music and worked in the world of music for very a, a long time, actually. So TV convinced me that through this practice, I could, A, kind of be the Midwestern person that I was, where it was like, everyone deserves everything. Let's all just get to work. <laughs> and... <laughs> I could kind of punch through that waspy ceiling of what design was interiors were supposed to look like and how people were supposed to act because it was not sexy to me whatsoever. It was just snobby gross. We're just going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This episode sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey, Tommy Smythe here. Thank God I have a few minutes to myself without my co-host. <laughs> I mean, you've been there. You've been overwhelmed before, too. I think most people carry around some kind of stress. And here at the Trust Me Pod, it's, Debbie, did you put your devices on Do Not Disturb? Debbie, do you have your microphone? (laughs) And when we have a guest, I just hope to get in one little question. Listen, sometimes it's hard to keep all your feelings all bottled up because you know what happens when you do. It bubbles over, you lose your cool, and maybe you take it out on someone you love. Obviously, I love Debbie. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever it is that's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient and flexible. Whether you're in Toronto or Tuscany, BetterHelp will fit your schedule. Get it off your chest. Visit betterhelp.com decorator to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com decorator. A big part of design and decoration for us, and everyone really, is putting your memories on display. When my children went away to camp, it was the first time we'd kind of not been together, and they both wrote me letters, and they were probably eight and nine years old, and they are the funniest letters, and I framed them, put them up on the wall, and I see them every day, and sometimes if I feel a bit down, I just read those letters, mostly asking me for more candy, but I think framing a letter is a wonderful thing. 
That is why we love the idea of FrameBridge. They honestly make it so easy to get anything framed, and they're really, truly affordable. It's easy to do in person at one of their 20 FrameBridge retail stores, and... It's so easy to order online at FrameBridge.com. You just upload a photo for them to print. Picking the frame was really easy, but also really hard because there were so many options. I went for Walnut, which is a solid Walnut frame, but I think next time I'll go for Florence and they'll mail it to you using their free, secure, prepaid packaging service. FrameBridge has been trusted to frame millions of our memories. Visit FrameBridge.com or a local FrameBridge store. You can custom frame just about anything. Again, that's FrameBridge.com. Both of you were among the very first people to take away that sort of film and remove that barrier, that veil, like lift the veil from what it was. Because everybody could see it, but they couldn't really. It was out of focus for a lot of people. Even Martha had it. Exactly. Even Martha had it. She was, yeah, she was very much the 1% and always presented that way. And I think what Trading Spaces did and what The Painted House did was it showed people a new way. Um, A new way of having agency and autonomy and authenticity in your home and also a way to fail, but fail with fun. And so not every sponge painting of kitchen cabinets, Debbie. (laughs) Don't look at me. Necessarily going to be successful long term. Yeah, but it was a way of doing it without money. It was a can of paint diluted, a feather you know, a sponge or whatever. And, 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 you know, people had ugly formica tops and you say, okay, yes, you can paint it or melamine or whatever it was called, but this is how you do it. It's all about, you've got to have the right primer. You've got to have all this. And I mean, you know, we, those were our keywords on every show, you know, your primer and making people understand it. And yeah, I mean, I still you know, get stopped in the streets, people saying, uh, can you come and redo my room? Because <laughs> I, I did it 20 years ago and it still looks disgusting. But it was also about having fun. You know, the kids would go off, you know, to some football game at the weekend with dad and mum would get her stuff out. And you didn't have to be an artist per se. You didn't have to be able to paint a picture of a face. You could say, yeah, I could make granny's old table into a piece of marble. And and when it's done well, it's an ancient art. It's been around forever and ever. If you go to, you know, and it was that it was that fun of it when you when you explain something with a picture. And when we used to travel around the world, you know, and we came to Italy and we'd go into a church and you say, well, you see the marble on the Sistine Chapel. That's not marble. It couldn't. There was no way to hold that up. So that's paint. I mean, I remember going to um, Henry Bendel's in New York. Do you remember the department store? And never went into the store. I used to hang out on the back stairs. <laughs> I was asked to leave several times because the back hallway, if you took the stairs, not the elevator, was faux stone. And to me, I spent hours, I'd go to New York to do stuff and then I'd go in there, you know, feeling it and touching it and working out how they did the trompe l'oeil and how did they get that angle and how, and there was a system to it. It's a shadow, you know, and once you'd worked out, because there was no books showing you how to do it. Okay, but how do I, you know, that faux paneling, I remember going to a restaurant in New York and it, it was all paneled. 
And then I spent the whole meal wiping my hands over the walls because it was flat. And it was like, you know, this has been done for centuries. And it's so clever, but it's so simple and it costs nothing, you know. And what was, I think, so successful in North America was the average person lived in a square box. They lived yeah. without much molding. They lived in, you know, an apartment building with square boxes, you know. Okay, so I'll show you how they paint a, a baseboard uh, on a wall in Italy, which is around me now, you know, it's called a batascopa. It was where batascopa means the mop, you know, hits the wall. So it was a band of color with a shadow on the top. I can show you how to do that. And it costs nothing. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm getting excited now, <laughs> you know, because it was a thrill. It's amazing to see that that passion doesn't leave, you know, like, like here's Debbie Travis talking about her years on the painted house and where the inspiration came from for that OG show. I mean, Jen, What's got you jazzed right now? You know, I always have to be doing a lot of different things to keep interested. I don't know about you guys, but I think maybe this is especially coming in through television first and then building my business later, that I always need many pots going. So I have a couple shows in development right now. We start shooting in the spring, which I'm always very excited about. I'm trying to take ownership of a lot of the video that I create now. So it's creating little mini networks in themselves and building armies so that I'm not just giving away forever and hired work for a season and then, oops, we're done. I, I want to have some control as we're now in the middle of our lives. We deserve that. I think we've earned yeah, that, right? Absolutely. I still get excited like Debbie does about turning those light bulbs on in people's heads. It's not so much the process itself, but that they get it. Oh, I've never seen that before. And I get it. And you've changed how I think. So I always practice a couple privates a year. They have to be incredibly good humans because my time needs to be sent with good energy at this point. I don't just need to do it for work's sake. I want to do it because creatively it's interesting right now. I'm working on uh, a loft in the Upper East Side. They said, just make it look like Wes Anderson. And they went back to LA and they're like, that's oh. Fun. I love that assignment. Oh, wow. Now that's a great, yeah. That gets me really excited. And then actually having my hand in, in making collections. So rugs and fabrics and wallpapers, that pattern and graphic design never gets stale for me. That's my quiet work. As a super extrovert who loves being on a crew and the big, exciting energy of television, which is just absolutely my favorite way to work. I also need that introverted creative time where I'm quiet and I'm draw drawing and I'm nerdy. And I don't need to explain anything. I'm just nerding out with my music and my pen. Like that's also a very happy place. But I've learned through COVID, especially like what percentage of the pie that can actually be before I wilt, right? And for like maybe a fine artist, that could be 99% of the pie. But for me, it could be like 10 10% is all I can do. And then I need my life for it. That's very interesting. That's interesting. And Debbie too, I think you, like I'm speaking for you a little bit, but our listeners know that Debbie sort of moved out of that space and into a lot of writing. I mean, she's been writing book after book and really has a studio that's set up where she can quietly do that in Tuscany and focus on her writing, which is amazing and still teaching. Yeah, it's not really design stuff, but it's it's... Because we, you know, I don't know if you know, Jen, but we run retreats here. I saw. I have never, ever had a design client, ever, 
you know, I'd kill them. You know, they'd kill me. You know, it, it 25 years on telly, you know, and, and I, I wouldn't. I think once, right at the beginning, somebody asked me to go rug shopping with them, and that nearly ended up me sticking, a, you know, something through the throat. Um, it was awful. It was awful. And, and uh, you know, it just wasn't my thing. I'm not the right personality for that. So for me, it was completely... <laughs> design on television with incredibly talented team. You know, I was not the great talent, but I knew. I knew not only the stories, I knew that that neighbor was going to have a heart attack. I knew this was going to go wrong. I knew all that. So I was the storyteller. But at the same time, I also knew with design because I do love it. And I'm very jealous of you two. And I, and, and I know what works. And of course, I do my own homes. and, and Which are like stunning, by the way. And I get so mad at you when you say you're not a designer because you are. Right? I feel like she's poo-pooing herself. Yeah. Yeah, she's so talented. Well, not really. But in Tuscany, I had the dream of everybody. I had five years while the bricks and mortar were being done. I mean, literally the restoration of this massive place to really work on design and to start to understand, especially how the Italians, I mean, the Italians can do the worst design in the world, but they can, they also do the best. So I went every year to Il Salone, which is the largest design show. It's 25 pavilions of nothing but design from lighting to kitchens, to bathrooms, to stone, to tile, to furniture, where literally gorgeous men in Armani uh, suits are sobbing at the end of the day because, you know, it's such hard work to go from place to place, you know. And I actually took a friend from San Francisco once with me and I said, do you want to go around this show with me? And she caught, she, and her name was Debbie as well. And she called it Death by Debbie. She said, this is the worst experience of my life. Because in those days, it was before you were given a key with a company's designs on, you were given pamphlets and brochures and, and catalogs. And you'd be walking out like a donkey, you know, with bag after bag and, and, and overwhelmingly. I mean, you were just overwhelmed. And then you'd go to bed at six o'clock in your hotel room ripping out pages going, this is what I want here. But the joy of spending five years of working around this ancient building was just for me fantastic. And, and then, but then what the twist was, was then you can't just sit there, you know, picking your nose for the next 30 years. So I said, well, let's invite other people. I don't want to be alone here with him indoors, as we say, even. The <laughs> um, <laughs> miserable bugger in the kitchen at the moment. Um, but no, I wanted, I wanted to share it. And joy, just like you two, when you have a finished home and you show it, whether it's on television or it's a client, that joy I see every single time when the doors open and 20 women walk in and I show each one their room. Which you have created. Yes. And I've designed it around what women want. Exactly. Because when you're tired and you're traveling and life is maybe not so good at the moment and you're broken in certain parts and you walk in that room, and I'm going to cry now, somebody has cared. And they're not some, you know, Ritz Hotel thing. They're simple, but they're everything in their matters. Do you know what that means, Debbie? It means you're a designer, because that's what Thanks, we do. Ben. Oh, Thanks, Ben. <laughs> yes, thank you. If you're enjoying this podcast, please rate us, send in a review, and make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jen, you shared your renovation story so brilliantly on your show, Genevieve's Renovation. I mean, can you talk to a little bit of that, like in terms of how the joy and pain and, you know, the excitement and the drama of doing that on a public stage? It was terrible. I know. Hard, right? (laughs) Sharing the process, I think, is really important. I thought, you know, at that time, home was just the A and Z and the B through Y was often just put to the side and Project Runway at the time was like, really focusing on the process, which I thought, of course, being a designer, that's the most interesting part. It's not just the magic parts. It's like, how do I get there? Because I think we all want the A and Z. We don't know how to do the B through Y. And that, as you said, we're teachers. That's really our job is to give that as the gift, the hard part. Let me show the struggle and the realness of this. So maybe you can take a different route or you know what's coming. Um, so I, I did it in the hardest city possible in New York. You have to work with the mafia <laughs> co-op, which is worse, worse than the mafia, the buildings department, which is the mafia uh, and it's uh, yeah. right. And I am also in a historically landmark neighborhood. So I had to work with landmarks and doing that on a TV time schedule, um, isn't really a great marriage of sorts because they want their shows as we know like this, but I can't beat up New York. So it took me like a year and a half to do like eight episodes, which typically we would knock out in yeah. four weeks, yeah. right? Um, so in that sense, I don't know how H- if HG was happy with it, <laughs> but it did really well. And it obviously, the ask about it, it's been 20 years. Well, it's been 15 years uh, since I did. Is it 15 years? Since 10, 10 since I finished that show. Um, but yeah, I wanted to show how expensive it is. What I have to pull back because we're a year into this and I can't afford to put that huge picture window in. I have to decide if I'm going to finish or if I'm going to give a flourish. And to kind of give some of the realness, I gave as much as I could on HG because, of course, it has to be glossy and perfect. Um, but the the cost of it wasn't really discussed right. on the airwaves because you still have to be approachable and you still have to be. You know. well, yeah. And New York renovating isn't the same as renovating in, you know, Ohio. Kansas. Yeah. No, it's totally different. But I love sharing the ugly part um, and struggling and being real and authentic about it. And Debbie, I love what you're doing. It is the next chapter for me as well, is creating destinations for people to come and experience not only your work, but to create classes and to keep teaching and bring in all the people you love to keep teaching them. And having a little vacation at the same time. I think it's, it's genius. Exactly. It's one and lots of wine. But that, that's what kind of gets <laughs> going. And, and, you know, for me, I think one of the biggest shocks of going from, you know, television where you've got hair and makeup. My children, who resent me dreadfully now, you know, never had a breakfast growing up <laughs> without somebody blow drying my hair. Uh-huh, and I'm yes. like, how's your homework? No, I do, do, do. no, I can't make cookies now. Because I was <laughs> always going to the set. And, and you know, and, and the makeup artists, you know, and the kids were like, Mom, can you move the brushes? You know, they're in my they're in my cereal, you know, and and you know, have a nice day, dear. And and that was how I, I started my day. And then suddenly after all these years, it's like, who's gonna he was going to brush my hair, you know. So I did a series called Dolce Debbie about 
you know, it was for own, uh, for Oprah, a six part series on the renovation here. But because it was so far away and costly to do, we had crews that would come in once or twice a year. And by the time the crew came, and it was a small crew, smaller than I'd ever worked with, I didn't have time to br even brush my hair. And, and of course, when I saw the first footage and I'm like, fuck, look, oh my God, you can't use that. But then you, can you put a filter on? Can you do the, you know, because suddenly you go from, you know, having your hair done in the morning to this, you know, you're in a ditch and you're sobbing and it was real. And they just followed me and followed me. And you think I was as naive as everybody. I was like, oh, they'll never use that. And the, and the rows and the arguments. and That's the realness. Yeah, you always fight. Oh, the realness of it. And running out of money, and my husband Hans was in Toronto or where somewhere in Canada, and filming there with other productions we did, and we'd have these calls. I don't know if it was Zoom. Did they have Zoom six, seven years ago, eight no. years ago? Skype. Skype. That's it. Oh my God, how we've moved on. And 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 you know, and he would be so angry with me, saying. You spend what on stone? Are you kidding? I could buy, you could buy a car for that. And, 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 and I'm like, that's gold. Not telling him, <laughs> but there was a camera crew there, and, and on my end filming it all. And of course, it all made it into the show. And and there was one scene where it had rained and rained, and you know, people imagine Tuscany as as tinted glasses, and it was February and it was soaking wet, and there was no gravel down. And I'm walking through the land with a cameraman and a sound man, and we started to sink. And we, all three of us, the cameraman, the sound man, sunk into the mud. And I just had my hip done. And I thought, I'm going to pull my hip out. And the cameraman, you know, cameramen are great. They're going to get it all. But by the time they were up to their chest, it was like we had to get a tractor. There was no footage because they had to start pulling us out, you know. And they're trying to protect the equipment and everything. And it turned out to be one of the funniest scenes in the thing. But it was not funny because I thought, you know, I'm going to have to go to the local hospital it's real <laughs> and it's also that you don't have to force drama with home it will always find you you do not have to make anything up <laughs> yeah and and you know i think that was the great thing about those shows tra trading spaces and changing rooms and stuff people said did you make this stuff up and and you just could not explain enough that no you didn't because when you put human beings under the stress of a renovation it's bad enough when you're doing it over a year but when you're doing it in four days shit happens it it has to happen that's the beauty of those shows for sure well speaking of shit happens i want to say i've barely said anything on this episode because it has been such a joy <laughs> it has been such a joy for me to see these two women, these two incredible women who I love so much personally, really discuss these storied careers and these incredible experiences. You are both beautiful and talented. You're both teachers and titans. And I'm so thrilled and privileged to have been able to listen to you together because separately, you're two of my favorite people in the whole world. But having you together today. And we love you. And coming from you, Tommy's always like pulling everybody together, but he's poo pooing himself because he's his own titan that he hasn't mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> I had to do a competition recently and people send him pictures and I'm like, I don't know. I just, so, Tommy, what would you do at seven o'clock in the morning? Can you design this room for me in five minutes? I think we all need to have a drink at Debbie's house and I think this needs to continue. We will. That would be amazing. 
the next time we are all together, let's make it at Villa Reniella. Jen, thank you for being with us today. We are so grateful and I'm Love so you. happy to see your beautiful face. And Ditto. next time I'm in New York, we're going to have another little patio session. Get your butt over here. I miss you. And Debbie, I am now your friend. So be prepared to see me. <laughs> Come on over. Bring, bring, a, bring a group, you know, because you can do a I'll group. I'll bring a bottle and a group. A bottle right, and a group right of women. Here. That would be great. <laughs> and Tommy, of course. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye, guys. I'm Sarah Burke, and I host the Women in Media podcast, where I'm exploring the challenges women face in the media spotlight and celebrating our triumphs. My guests come from radio, TV, news, and sports, and we'll cover topics like leadership, diversity, stereotypes, and more. Most of all, I'm looking to build a community through a space where we can discuss anything. The Women in Media podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at womeninmedia.ca. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.